Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua, the 24th chapter, is where we're going to begin, and it's where we're going to be throughout the duration of the lesson, so you'll be helped tremendously if you'll get a Bible out and open it up to the Old Testament, to Joshua chapter 24, as we get ready to work together in the Word of God for these next few minutes. As you're turning to Joshua chapter 24, I'll join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this Lord's Day morning, this rainy Lord's Day morning. That's kind of par for the course here in Kentucky, it seems like, but... So glad that you are here, and I'll echo the welcome that it is great to have so many guests with us, so many folks visiting with us, more than just having lots of visitors. What I especially like seeing is looking out over the audience and seeing lots of our own members being displaced from their normal seats. That's always an enjoyable treat. Susan's up here in the splash zone. Josh is in the splash zone to my left, so uh, we'll see how well they do for the next few minutes today. In Joshua chapter 24, I'm reading here a very familiar verse, I believe, It's verse number 15 in Joshua 24 and verse 15. Joshua says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you were to come pay a visit to McKibben Manor this afternoon, and you were to enter into our house through the garage door, as soon as you step inside, immediately to your right, you would notice on the wall this. You would notice that verse that we just read etched on a wooden pine pallet hanging on the wall above our kitchen table. Now, we like having that, and we like having that there, number one, because it helps to cover up a big ugly hole that's in the wall. But secondly, and more importantly... Uh, it really serves, that verse serves as kind of the motto for our home. It is our family crest, if you will. That as soon as someone enters into our house, even if they don't even know us, they would see that verse and hopefully they would recognize, bare minimum, that we are people of faith, that we are people who take God seriously. Of course, we're not the only ones who like having that verse hanging visibly on the walls of our home. You visit my mom and dad's house, go into the dining room, you'll find a big collage of pictures. And right there at the center of that collage is that verse kind of tying everything together. Or you could go to the Ford family's house and you'll find a very personalized frame with a cross-stitched version of that verse. I like that very much. Or you could go to the home of the Keiths or the Moors or the Gwyns and you'll find other various decor hanging in their homes depicting that passage. You can go to the home of Cody and Amanda Humble and you'll find that verse mounted on the wall. They're doing renovations inside their house, but you'll still find that verse planted there. And if you think Cody and Amanda have really good taste, well, you're really going to like the Swan's house because Mitchell and Alicia have the exact same one hanging on their walls. And of course, that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. I would imagine that there are many others, many of you and many others that we know who have Joshua 24, verse 15, displayed in some fashion within their home. In fact, if you don't have something and you'd like to get something before this week is over, then go stop by Hobby Lobby this week and go in there, go down practically any aisle, and you'll just find all kinds of merchandise with that verse emblazoned upon them. You'll find picture frames. You'll find wall art of wood and of metal. You'll find welcome mats. You'll find magnets. You'll find clocks. You name it, that verse is super popular amongst people of faith. And with good reason. Number one, it's just a great slogan. 
It's a great term. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And on top of that, it does look really, really good on home decor. But as famous as that verse is, I wonder how much thought we have given to the depth of Joshua's statements in Joshua 24, 15. When's the last time? We hear that verse all the time. But when is the last time you just stopped and you reflected upon the profound truths that this great verse conveys? Well, if you've never done that before, or if it's been a while since you've done that, this morning you're going to get the opportunity to do so. Because I'd like for us to spend just a little bit of quality time with a verse that I'm going to suggest to you is so much more than just good for home decor. Joshua 24.15 is a verse that calls upon people to make a choice. It is a verse that challenges people to make a decision. And while that call was originally made to God's first covenant people long ago, make no mistake about it, those words that Joshua spoke and issued so long ago, they continue to echo and reverberate down through time even to this present day. And this morning I want to extrapolate four big ideas, four big truths from this amazing verse. And I want us to think about how it applies to, really to every single person in this room. Now of course this statement, we like to isolate it and think about it by itself, but this statement did not occur in a vacuum. It actually occurred at a particular time and in a particular place and in a specific context. Can we just back up in the chapter and get a little bit of that? Go back to verse 1. Chapter 24 of Joshua, verse 1. Here kind of sets the scene. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And he summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua calls all the people here to Shechem. You should know that Shechem is an important place in Israelite history. Abraham came through here. God made promises to him. Jacob renewed the covenant with God and erected an altar there before the Lord. And this is the very place where the bones of Joseph are ultimately going to be buried. But now here, Joshua gathers all the people of God together to renew that covenant, to renew their commitment to the Lord, and to call upon them to put away all the idols and the false gods that they've been tinkering with and toying with. Put those away once and for all. And the way that Joshua is going to do that is by recounting to them the history of the Israelite people. And he's not going to do that in some kind of boring lecture style. Now this happened, and then 75 years later this happened, and then 100 years later this happened. That's not the way Joshua's going to do that. No, Joshua's going to tell that story through the lens of what God had done for them. Notice a little bit of that. Look in verse 2. Verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I, God says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. 
You just keep on reading for the next several verses. Joshua chronicles and summarizes all the things that God had done for this people from the Exodus to the wilderness wanderings to the conquest of Canaan and all the various blessings that came along with that. In fact, I think that's well summarized in verse 13. The Lord says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Joshua just keeps putting the emphasis back on God. Look at what God's done. Look at all that God has given us. Look at how God has blessed us. Look at who God is. All throughout, all of this time, He has been the constant provider, the constant giver, the constant sustainer. He has been the constant from generation to generation to generation. And so in light of all that God has done for us, Joshua then says in verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. What Joshua calls upon the people to do here is to give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. That's really that idea of sincerity and faithfulness. That just as God had been faithful and constant and trustworthy all along the way to His people, Joshua says that we owe Him that same degree of faithfulness and service. That we need to throw away all these idolatrous and pagan practices that just encumber us. And then Joshua says it. Verse 15. Now therefore, verse 15, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are, out of this verse, there are four universal truths that I believe rings out not only here for these people, but four truths that just ring out across centuries of time that I want to call your attention to for a few moments this morning. First and foremost... First thing that Joshua realizes is that you cannot force people to do what is right. That you just can't. Joshua realizes that people have to choose. Now in some ways, verse 15 ought to be maybe a little bit surprising to us. Especially considering the 14 verses that just preceded it. You know, what would you think if the preacher got up and the preacher preached about, about abstinence and celibacy and self-control. Then the preacher talked about the evils of sexual immorality, and fornication, and adultery. And at the conclusion of that, the preacher said, choose. Make a decision. We would kind of be taken aback by that a little bit. You know, we expect preaching to admonish us, and to provoke us, and to persuade us to do the right thing. And there is a little bit of that there in verse 14. But Joshua still knew at the end of the day, after you present all of the truth, ultimately, people are going to do what they want to do. And people have to want to do the right thing. People have to make their own conclusion and their own decision about that. And so while maybe we would expect Joshua to just shout and clamor at these people, Hey, serve God! That's what you ought to do! He's been good to us! You need to serve Him! End of discussion. What Joshua says in effect is that you just need to choose. Choose you this day. Because righteousness is 
It is a choice, isn't it? It is a decision that you must come to on your own. No one can make that choice for you. In fact, listen to me carefully, not even God can make that choice for you. Now, God certainly could do that. God could have done that with the Israelites, couldn't He? He could have made them do what was right. God could have operated them like a bunch of puppets on a string. And He could have pulled those strings in perfect you know, harmony and when He needed them to, and they would have never, ever missed a beat. But of course, if you know anything about the history of the Old Testament, then you know it never worked out that way, did it? The people of Israel, they missed lots of beats. They did not always choose to do what was right. They did not always want to do what was right. And so as the Old Testament then gave way to the New Testament, it really should be no surprise that we find that that choice, that importance of making a decision, that that continues to carry on even under the covenant that we live in today. Would you hold your place in Joshua? Look in Acts, please, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, on the very first occasion that the gospel was preached publicly... Peter, after saying a lot of stuff, a lot of really important stuff, he summarizes everything that he says in this way down in verse 40. Would you look down in Acts 2 and verse 40? With many other words, Peter bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. I think in many ways, Acts 2 verse 40 is the New Testament counterpart to Joshua 24, 15. Choose. Make a decision about this because nobody else can make you do it. You know, I this morning, I could pull out a gun and I could go hold it to the heads of every person in this room who is not a Christian and I could just demand, you need to be baptized. Get in that water. And you know what? A lot of people would probably be baptized. We probably would have lots of folks be baptized today. But it wouldn't do any good, would it? Wouldn't be of any benefit whatsoever. Because it's not predicated on a choice. It's not predicated on the decision, the conscious decision to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, faithfully. Which means then that in making this statement, as you turn back to Joshua chapter 24, what Joshua recognizes here is he recognizes the reality of free will. That people are created by God with free will. You get the freedom to choose. Now, evolutionists, they teach that, well, there really is no such thing as free will. A biologist by the name of Anthony Cashmore, he said this, he said, we are simply machines, completely controlled by a combination of our chemistry and by external environmental forces. You have no real choice. You just do whatever evolution hardwired you to do. And of course, it's not just the evolutionists who say that. Calvinism teaches something very, very similar. Because Calvinism says that God's sovereignty is just so powerful and it's so vast that it extends to everything and to everyone so that we do not have any free will. God overrides all of that. And in fact, that what Joshua is calling for here in Joshua 24 verse 15, eh, that can't even really happen. But you know what? Joshua didn't believe in Darwinian evolution. And Joshua most certainly was not a Calvinist. Joshua says, it's up to you. You get to decide. The choice is yours. The ball is in your court. You've got free will. Which is why Joshua then goes on to say that you need to exercise that free will. Because secondly, God is far too important 
not to make a decision. For Joshua, what you are religiously is crucial. It's not enough for you to just kind of go along with just kind of what you've always done. Just kind of go along with the default setting. You know what I mean when I use that term, default setting? You use a smartphone or a computer, and you probably know a thing or two about default settings. You get a new smartphone and you pop that thing out of the box, it's going to come with all kinds of default settings. You know, how many seconds it's going to be before the screen shuts down. Or where it is that it's going to save your pictures. Does it save it to the phone or save that to the SIM card? Or the volume level on your ringer. Or the type of wallpaper that's on your phone. All kinds of things that are just kind of set in place by the factory. And that's just the default settings. And you know what many of us do with those default settings? We don't bother them. We don't touch them. We know better than to mess with any of that because as soon as we start monkeying with the default settings, there's a real probability that we're going to mess something up. We may end up damaging this phone and ruin it altogether and we've lost hundreds of dollars that we've paid for this thing. We understand, hey, just safer, just kind of let's just go with the default settings. Well, do you know where a lot of people are today religiously? They're just content to remain in their default settings. They're just kind of rolling along with the everyday business of life, consumed with their family or with their job or with a hobby or recreation of some sort. And so as a result, they never really stop and think about God. They've never really paid much attention to religion, what it means to worship. How to seek first the kingdom of God. Never really given a whole lot of thought to dying and what happens after that. And what judgment day is going to be all about. No, 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 no. They're just kind of going along with, well, with how they've always lived. Would you look again though at Joshua 24? Joshua says, you really need to think about who it is that you're going to serve. He says there in verse 15, he says, you can make the choice to serve those gods whom our fathers once served. You can be like Tira. You can worship some of those early Mesopotamian gods. You can do that. You can sign up to worship them. Or, he says, you can serve the gods in this land, the land of the Amorites. You can serve some of these Canaanite gods. You can worship Baal. You can worship Molech. You can worship Ashtaroth. You can do that. Just sign up for it. Or, Joshua says, you can serve Jehovah. The one true and living and real God. But you gotta choose. Joshua says, don't just waffle around. Don't just go along with, you know, well, whatever. This is what I'm doing today. Just whatever about that. No! Joshua says, think about it. And then decide. Would you hold your place and look in Acts again? Look in Acts 17 this time. In Acts 17, I, I think Paul encountered a lot of this default religion Specifically when he was in the city of Athens. Because the factory settings in Athens would have been those deities of Greek mythology. And what Paul notices about the Athenians is that, well, they really weren't doing any real thinking about their religion. Just kind of a hodgepodge of whatever. And so he says to them in Acts 17, look in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. 
It's a guy they hadn't even really even thought about, really even really explored all that much. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul says we need to think about our religion. We need to think about who it is that we are worshiping. That we need to be making some conscious decisions. And it seems to me that that message was not just needed in Paul's day. And it was not just needed in Joshua's day. It is much needed in our day. Because if you were to ask many people, just maybe take an opportunity this week to ask a friend or a co-worker why it is that they do what they do religiously, chances are you're going to hear maybe something like, well, I just go to this church because it's the closest to where I live. And that's, that's why I'm part of that. Or, you know, hey, this is the particular set of beliefs and the system of faith that, that my mom and dad taught me, my grandma and granddad. So it's just kind of the family religion. Or maybe somebody says, well, I really don't even go to church anywhere because you know, I just haven't ever really even thought about it. Many people today have not done that. They've not weighed the evidence. They've not read the Bible for themselves. They've not carefully analyzed what it is that they're doing or what it is that they're not doing so that they can then make an informed decision. No, they're just they're just kind of doing the default thing. In fact, I was kind of startled to read this the other day. One survey found that nearly 20% of Americans who profess belief in God said that they are religiously unsure. Believe in God, but I'm still religiously unsure. How is that possible? If God exists... Is there anything more important than that? If God sent His Son, what on earth is more significant than that? If God sent His Son and allowed that Son to die on the cross for my sins, then you tell me, what matters more than that? Well, welcome to 2019 America. This is the country where we can sit in front of a television or sit in front of a computer screen And we can watch hours upon hours upon hours of cable news and political debates so that we can be well informed to decide which candidate we're going to vote for. We can sit down and we can go to the courthouse and we will search thousands and thousands of papers of title records and property tax information and we'll research about school districts before we make the decision to buy a house. We are the people who will spend, I don't know, all kinds of time reading 500 online reviews to make an informed decision about what brand of paper towel to buy. But when it comes to this, the single most important decision in life, well, people are just too busy to think about God, about who He is, about what it is that He wants from us about why it is that He made us, about what's going to happen when we stand in front of Him someday. Joshua says, everybody, let's stop. And let's give some real thought to who we're going to serve. Let's examine the choices that are before us. And then let's make up our minds. And then what Joshua says next is he says, I've made up my mind. Because truth number three is that you can decide to serve God even if nobody else will. Now, I believe that Joshua 24 is a remarkable passage. And I believe that Joshua's rousing call to Israel to to choose, I believe it would be really, really famous 
even if that last little bit of verse 15 was not in there. I still think it would be a famous passage. But you know what? It is that last little bit, like the last 12 words of verse 15, that really just ramps it up to another level, isn't it? Because after setting all of the various options on the table, Joshua just says it. He says, as for me, for me, I've decided that I'm going to serve the Lord. That that is my choice. And in fact, my choice is independent of your choice. I don't even know what all of you all are going to decide. But you know what? My decision is not going to be influenced by yours. My my decision is not going to be swayed by your decision. It's not going to be swayed by the crowd or even by the majority. In fact, even if everybody else here chooses to do what's wrong, I've already made the decision that I'm going to do what's right. And you know what? Joshua, in saying that and in doing that, that's not always the easy thing to do. Doing what's right, in fact, standing up in front of the majority and telling them, hey, I'm going to do the opposite of what you all are doing. That sometimes is very, very hard. Especially when the people around us are not trying to do the right thing. In fact, isn't that what Jesus said things were going to be like? Look in Matthew 7, please. In Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus he just kind of tells us up front. In Matthew 7 and verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this is how it's going to be. In Matthew 7 and verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Dare I say the majority. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says that most people, most people are not going to do the Joshua thing. Most people are just going to go along with whatever's most popular or whatever's the most accepted at the time. Most people just feel that social pressure to, to fit in and to fall in line and just do what everybody else is doing. And we see that all the time in our world today, don't we? We see that especially, I always think about in fashion. See this all the time in fashion. As a guy who likes ties and suits and that sort of stuff, I often stop and wonder about, why did we go from narrow ties back in the 1950s and the 60s to then in the 70s and the early 80s to these big wide broad ties that cover up like the whole belly and then back today to the little skinny narrow ties? Why is that? Well, I did some research about that and come to find out, engineers, they analyze broad ties and they found that they create a lot of wind resistance, whereas narrow ties are much more aerodynamic and they allow to increase our ambulatory efficiency. That's why they... No, that's not how that happens. <laughs> the reason that ties go from skinny to broad to medium to skinny again is because well, it's because influential people like these, they wear a certain kind of fashion. And so in an effort to want to be like them, the culture just follows suit. We just kind of follow them like a bunch of lemmings. You know, hey, this is how the mainstream, that's how they're wearing their ties today. Well, well, then that's how we're going to wear our ties. I've got sort of a narrow tie on today. Look at me, I'm fitting in. We're going to do what everybody else is doing. Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15, he says enough of that. I really don't even care what the mainstream is doing. I'm not going to be pushed around by the demands of the majority. I'm not really interested in going with the flow. I'm going to stand where I have stood for years and years. 
I'm standing on the Lord's side. Yes, I realize there are alternatives. There are other choices. And yes, I realize that those other choices, those other options, they they are much more popular than this choice. And yes, as well, I realize that those paths and those choices, they would be much less restrictive than this choice. But I've made my decision. I am settled in that decision. I am going to serve the Lord. And if you want to serve the Lord too, then great. That will just be wonderful. And if you don't want to serve the Lord, bad for you. No effect on me because I'm serving the Lord regardless. And I think this is what makes Joshua 24.15 so challenging for us today. Because what this passage is challenging us to do is it is challenging us to find that kind of courage. And in a day and age, in a society that's becoming more and more godless, further and further away from God, how important is it, Christian, that you and I find that kind of courage? The courage to stand on convictions instead of just blowing in the ever-changing winds of popular opinion. And one of the reasons that that is so important and so critical is because not only does that decision affect you, But finally this morning, the decision that you make, it also affects, it also affects the people who are close to you. The people that you love. That's the part of Joshua 24-15 that really makes it so popular with the home decorator business, doesn't it? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was not just an isolated individual over here living on an island all by himself. No. He had a wife. He had kids. Joshua is concerned about his family as a whole. He doesn't want them to serve the gods of Terah that they serve beyond the river. He doesn't want them to be involved in the Amorite worship practices. He wants his family to serve the one true God. In my house, Joshua says... We're going to be people who serve the Lord. Now, somebody maybe would hear that, and they're trying to now balance that with some of the things we said in the first point. Hey, Josh, what about what about all that make your own decision stuff, huh? What about that? What about that free will thing, huh? What happened to that? Well, I believe Joshua knew about that. I believe Joshua believed that. Can I make a couple of observations though to kind of balance all of that out? First and foremost, what Joshua realized was that children need the guidance and the instruction and the example of their parents. And they need that so that they can make right choices. That's what we as parents want to do. That's what we see as our responsibility. That we will raise our kids to know the truth of God's Word and then hopefully make the decision to live their lives in accordance with how God intends it to be lived. Joshua does not want one day for his grandchildren to be rolled down to the temple of the false god Molech and then be consumed in flames upon his wicked altar. Joshua doesn't want that. Joshua does not want his family to be bringing their cattle and their livestock down to the temple and then wasting those animals on empty sacrifices to a big piece of metal called Baal. Joshua wants his children to know the Lord, to love the Lord, and then serve the Lord God. And the way to help our kids to know and love and serve the true God is for mom and dad to set the tone, 
to set the tenor early on of what that home is going to be. For mom and daddy to just come out and say and to demonstrate, this is who we are and this is what we do. And as they get older, we want to help them to see why we do what we do and why we are who we are. But we want to make that clear. This is what we're going to be about here. In fact, would you look in Ephesians, please? In Ephesians 6, this is certainly a passage that all parents need to think about, but I tell you, men, if you're a father, you take special note here. In Ephesians 6 and in verse 4, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Moms and especially dads, are we providing the instruction and the example that our kids need while we have the time to do that? While we still have the opportunity to do that? While they are still under our care? So that when the day and time comes that they can make some decisions on their own, they'll be able to make the kind of good decision that Joshua was calling for here. Which leads right into that second observation that I would say about this. And that is that what Joshua is calling all of Israel to, in fact, what Joshua is saying to his own family, is that in this home, there is no room for compromise. You know, when you have kiddos, and kiddos are like three, well then the stand that Joshua takes here, it's not really all that hard. You know, with three-year-olds, you can kind of you can lay down the law, and you can make them come to church, and you can basically, basically... Get a three-year-old to do what you want them to do. I realize somebody's going to say, well, Josh, you, you never met my three-year-old. Okay, I get that. But you can basically guide them and have them do what you want them to do. But you know what? It is exponentially harder when it's a 13-year-old. And it's really, really hard when it's a 17-year-old. Because now they're at a point where they're starting to make their own decisions. And sometimes those decisions are not... Good decisions. And so mom and dad, what are we doing about that? Are we going to call them out about that? Use that as a teaching opportunity? Maybe even administer some punishment? Or do we just kind of let that slide? Hey, this is not that big of a deal. Just let that go. When our child makes the decision to go and attend the temple of Baal, or when they decide they're going to be involved in the worship of Molech, or when they decide that they're going to do some other ungodly thing while they are still under our care and our supervision and our control and our direct oversight, what do we do about that? Do we compromise? Because, well, I don't, I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to make him feel awkward. Do we make concessions? Because, well, I, I want her to still look at me as her, her, her BFF, her best friend forever. Do we accommodate them, enable them in their behavior? Because, well, that's, that's what all the other parents at school are doing, and so I don't, I want to fit in with them. What we need is we need moms and dads who have the spirit of Joshua, the spirit that's willing to put the foot down, to take a stand and to say, in this house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, I can't control everybody out there. I can't fix everybody out there. But for the souls who live under this roof, we are determined to do what is right. We're going to be people who honor God. We're going to be people who take His Word seriously and live in accordance with it. We're going to be people who seek to do what is right. That all who would shelter here, we're going to be subject to His reign and His rule. Because as for me and for my house, we are people who serve the Lord.
Joshua was determined to do right. And Joshua was determined to lead his family to do right. And that is what makes this passage so powerful. And that is what makes his statements here so much more than just a a catchy line to put on a piece of of home decorations. In fact, whether you have that verse displayed in your home or whether you don't, that's not really what matters. What matters is that you would be able to read that verse and you would be able to say for yourself, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because you've made the decision to live out those truths day by day, In your service to God. Now, in some ways, you maybe would expect, okay, Josh, all this stuff that you've said about choosing and making decisions, that is tailor-made to extend the invitation. And certainly that would be very appropriate. I could go back and just kind of repeat and re-preach some of the things that I've already said earlier in this lesson about coming to a point of decision and making a choice and doing all of that, and that would be all well and good. But can I maybe just make a quick play on something that we haven't really emphasized from this passage? Did you notice that this passage says something about when that decision needs to be made? When is the right time to choose the Lord and follow Him? Well, Joshua says in this verse that that time is now. He says, choose this day. The time and the moment of decision has arrived right now. And this morning, if you have never rendered your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then this is the time to do that. This is the time to to stop putting that off. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to straddle the fence. Today is the day to be united with Jesus Christ in baptism and to become one of God's children. Or if you are one of God's children, but you've not been living faithfully, you've not been doing the Joshua 24, 15 thing, then this is the day to recommit yourself, just as Joshua called those people to do so long ago. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, the floodgates are open. All that's missing is you. Would you simply come forward and make those desires known? Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.